Thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, man, thank you, Kevin, for joining us tonight. Can uh, can we just give him a little bit of applause for sharing us tonight? Thank you. Really appreciate it, man. So thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, thank you, everybody that's here. It's great to see you. Thank you for everybody watching online. Um, you know, later I am going to ask for a bit of feedback. So don't be afraid to shout out something. Don't be afraid if you're watching online to type something because there's always somebody that can benefit from it, from your experience, from your story. Uh, there's always someone that can relate to what you're going through, whatever that may be, good, bad, or in between. Uh, you know, there's a, always somebody that can uh, yes and amen or say, mm, I feel you. So, um, <clears throat> you know, God gives us our stories and experiences for reasons, and uh, everyone has one to share. So, this week, how was y'all's week? Anybody have a good week? Let's see, like, a hand if you had a good week. Anybody had a tough week? You got a tough week over there? Okay. Anybody had some strange stuff happen this week? Kind of a weird week or anything you didn't expect? Yeah, got some things. <laughs> uh, got an unexpected real surprise over there. Yeah, so the great thing is that our time right now, no matter how your week went, uh, is, is a gift. We get to sit and just be together, be with our brothers and sisters, and be with the Lord. And whether it is something I say or something that has nothing to do with what I say and the Lord just puts on your heart, the Lord probably has something to say to you right now. So it's just a, a pleasure to, to be with y'all and to, to listen for our Lord and to be aware of him. So tonight, we are going to look at Acts 14. We're going to continue our journey in Acts. And uh, so it's important to remember what this story is about, right? So Adam's been going through this book, and each time he says this, Acts is the story of how the good news of Jesus is on the move to everyone, everywhere. And I think that is a great sum up of the book. So, uh, Acts 14, we're going to look at the first seven verses. And that starts with, At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders to mistreat and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to Lycaosian, that's how you say it, Lycaosian, in Lystra, or Lystra, excuse me, and Derby. 
into the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say thanks be to God. So, at Iconium, or Iconium, Paul and Barnabas spent an unusual, spent as usual, went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. Um, for those who, who, if that word sounds familiar, Iconium, uh, it comes from the Greek word icon or image of. Uh, if you're familiar with our church history, icon was almost our church name. It was the name that Adam really wanted to name the church before I was like, oh, let's just slow down and think about stuff. But he loved it. And then later on, Toby told me, I think she really loved it, right? So apparently I was the stick in the mud at that party. But no, it's okay. It's a cool name. It's a cool name. But um, yeah, so that is where our church almost went. But Iconium is not far from Galatia, which you know, right, from the letter to the Galatians. So same area. It's in Turkey, like, you know, the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean. If you just go inland north of that, you're there. And modern day, it is Konya, Turkey. So the same thing's happening that's been happening in the books of Acts, in the book of Acts, and is going to continue to happen in the book of Acts. And that's Paul, Barnabas, Luke, and others are going town to town, first to the synagogue, delivering the story, and the story spreads, new believers join them, then some people decide to become antagonizers. Lies start to spread, mobs are formed and stirred up, and those mobs begin to become violent and attack. So we're seeing this over and over. So first question I have is, why do they start in the synagogues? So we know that Jesus did this too, right? Whenever he went somewhere new, he often went to the synagogues first. And he talks about it. He said, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. But why? Well, I'm going to start with a movie analogy. Because that's what I do every time, right? So... For anybody who hasn't seen it, I'll try not to spoil it. But I'm going to talk about 1917 for a second. If anybody has seen it, let me, let me see your hand. Nobody. Okay, Rebecca up there has seen it. Cool. So I'll try not to spoil it for 100% of y'all. Okay, it's a simple story. It's set in World War I. We're following some British soldiers. And there is a group of soldiers that are planning to attack at a specific day and time. And they are planning to attack in a specific place, and they are already there, and they are waiting. They have their orders. But this place is a very dangerous place. It is called a no man's land because very few people survive that area. On top of that, what they don't know is the German army already knows they're coming. So this group of 1,600 soldiers are about to head in to their demise. And it is up to two soldiers to deliver a message saying, do not attack. So you have these two guys that need to deliver this life or death message to this army that is awaiting it. Hopefully, they receive it in time. This is what's going on as Paul and Barnabas are delivering the message. The Jewish people 
were waiting for the message. They were waiting for the good news. They had been waiting a long time for the Messiah, for their rescue. That's why they went to the synagogue first, because they had finally gotten the message they could deliver. So, what does first to the synagogue look for us like today? I think that's a very interesting thing to think through and think about, especially when we're in a place that is as churched as it is. Um, I think for me, when I think through this, you know, for those who don't know, we serve at the Rock Center quite a bit. And that is an ecumenical place where lots of churches volunteer in different ways. And unfortunately, a lot of times we hear things and it may be like somebody didn't like the way you did something. Or maybe someone didn't like something that was said. And you're like, excuse me, what? Or like maybe you heard somebody did something and you're like, excuse me, what? But what we don't do enough is step outside our like, excuse me, whatness and reach out to those people and sit down at a table with them and eat a meal with them and learn about them. And I think if we did that a little more, maybe we could stop getting to those excuse me what's all the time. People are going to think differently than us. People are going to act differently. People are going to volunteer differently. People are going to do things that we think shouldn't be done that way. But if we learn about who they are and who we are and how they love God like we love God and how they love neighbors like we love neighbors, then maybe we can start loving neighbors together a little bit more. And stop fighting about who knows what. Paint colors or who cares. I want to stop for a second and talk about, in this passage, the elephant in the room. Or more so, the elephant in the text. And that is the subject of race. And you may say, ugh, Jason, why do you always bring up race? Race affects every one of us. And that's okay. Um, and partially I'm doing this because someone said something this week that I didn't like, and I have a microphone now, so I get to talk about it. But, um, so I was studying this week, studying these seven verses, and I took a break, which is good. Breaks are good. But I took an unhealthy break, which is bad, right? And I went on break, and I pulled out my phone. Mistake number one. Mistake number two was clicking on the Facebook app. So I click on the Facebook app, and I start scrolling, which I should immediately, I knew to stop doing and walk away, but I didn't. And I saw a post from a pastor that I know. And this, uh, there was nothing wrong with the post. You know, it, it was a little provocative, but, you know, he's kind of one of those guys that gets a lot of people talking. And so I click on the comments, start scrolling through the comments. Shouldn't have done that. That's a waste of time. And uh, I get to this comment that says, what the heck, it was a different language than that, but what the heck does race have to do with Christianity? You know, um, 
I don't mean to brag about myself, but I'm going to brag about myself for a second. <clears throat> so I've been told a few times that I Facebook well. You know, um, Kelly specifically, who's not here tonight, has told me that I am extremely gracious, very patient and kind. And, you know, I try to be. The truth is, I don't want to be. Like, I want to be sarcastic. Like, I want to be snarky and smarmy. Like, I want to, like, throw some jabs, you know? I want to be like, I don't know, maybe the king of the Jews said something like, hold my beer, you know, as he addresses this comment. So, here's the truth. There's two, two reasons why I try not to do this. One, because I know if I do, I have to be ready to spend the rest of my week re-commenting against this guy, because it's not going to end. Two, in a world that's constantly taking jabs, we're all walking around just tired and bloody and bruised. And we got to stop that. You know, um, but you know, race comes up in this passage, so I want to hit on it just for a second. We can live our life pretending that arms aren't a thing. We can buy shirts without holes in them. But in the end, we're being foolish if we don't recognize the gift that God has given us in arms. And likewise, your disbelief in arms doesn't change the fact that your Lord spread his arms for you. While racism is sinful and evil, race is a thing. More so, differences of race are a gift from God to be acknowledged and celebrated. So acknowledge it, talk about it, and I promise it will be okay. So here I have been studying this passage of seven verses, and race is referenced eight times. You know, the Bible addresses race all throughout Scripture, and some subjects tackle it head on. This passage isn't one of those passages. It's not, this isn't the subject. This isn't what's attacking. But there is context where race is important. There's dynamics at play. And we should pay attention to those. So what's the context of it here? What's the nuance of what Luke is writing and trying to show us in verse 2? But the Jews who refused to believe, stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. It's very important to note that Luke is not generalizing people groups here. He's not saying this type of people is bad and they're doing this to this type of people. That's not what's happening. Many have used passages like this to poison others' minds, to try to apply their own racial biases to it. Instead, Luke's drawing attention to two specific local groups. When they are operating together and how they're operating in different fashions. The distinction in these groups are this. The Jewish people here knew every bit of God's story. Their entire lives were steeped in this story. Their daily and weekly rhythms, their traditions and holidays and festivals... The point to that is they knew better. 
they knew of the coming Messiah, the one to rescue them. The Gentiles didn't know about that. They didn't know better. They didn't know what was coming. But the Gentiles knew that the Jewish people knew about this. And so they could put their trust in what they had to say. So what we're seeing in this poisoning of minds is we're seeing one group of people that had a power that they leverage over another group of people. They are leveraging their knowledge on the subject to modify truth, right? To manipulate them. And this is what they're doing to take advantage of these other groups of people that don't know as, as good as they do. They are changing and controlling the story, convincing, swaying, manipulating. In Acts 13, we see it says that, but the Jewish leaders incited God-fearing women of high standing and leading men of the city. They were using people of influence. Why were they doing this? They were controlling the truth and what is to be believed because that gave them control of power. Power of the situation, power of their location. How do we see this now? I mean, obviously, we see it in politics all the time, right? We get half-truths, and they, politicians drive us through fear and division so they can get votes, and votes equal power, right? We see it in media. They use misleading headlines and stories to invoke emotion because being salacious and provocative drives ratings, and that drives ad revenue, and that's awesome. And we see it in social media, constantly confirming the worst parts of ourselves and selling it right back to us. This world needs us to be emotional. Emotions are not bad. Emotions are good and God-given. But when we are overly emotional, the world knows where we stand and how we stand on things and what buttons to press to shift us just enough in the direction it prefers. Worst of all is when we see this happen in the church. Today, Iconium, or Konya, is considered Turkey's most religious city. Isn't that a bit ironic? The city where Paul and Barnabas were about to be stoned is Turkey's most religious city. It's such a shame that we so often see the most religious can also be the most cruel. We see those who know better using and manipulating truth to protect power and platform. Using emotion to stir up audiences because they're more like showmen instead of shepherds. They leverage contracts and laws to hide truths and stories of abuse, and it's tiresome. Y'all, it wears us out. Like when we see these headlines and Rebecca and I talk, man, we just get tired of it. How do we respond to this? Many respond just by leaving. We'll come back to this. We're going to talk about how we respond. But the questions as I'm walking through this passage, the questions that are hit in my mind are, how are we responding? 
How do we know who and what to follow? How do we attribute things that happen? How does God validate? So how do we respond? How do they respond? How did Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas respond? It says, verse 3 says, They spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to performing signs and wonders. How do we know who and what to follow? It can be so confusing, right? We live in a world where everyone talks like they know everything. And that is super confusing. And a lot of times it's just like whoever's like the most confident in what they're saying. And uh, that's like very frustrating. Is there really that many people that know everything? I want to admit something. Like, I don't know everything. Yeah, right? Lynette was super shocked about that. But I'm very, very wary of people who talk and act like that. Also, I would say I'm very miracle adverse, right? When the Bible says that God validated them through, like, miracles and wonders, like, I am very slow to, like, see something happen and then attribute it to God. Like, sadly, so. I'm very slow to say that was a miracle. Like, honestly, what I think happens is miracles happen all the time, and I just overlook them. I think a lot of us do that. I think we're so scared to say that something was actually like spirit driven. But it happens all the time. We've seen it happen in our lives. And, uh, but I'm so slow to just say, man, that's totally God right there. But why? Like that's, that's just the world impressing on me. So the people of the city were divided some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. And isn't that how everything is? How do we attribute the things that happen? How does God validate? Is it gifted speaking? Like, I don't think we think anymore that's right, right? Does, is gifted speaking like a sign that God is present? Because, honestly, some of the most gifted, most impressive speakers I've seen have been the worst pastors I have ever seen. Some of the most gifted speakers have also been some of the most harmful people. I mean, once again, look at world leaders. Super gifted at speaking, and yet they'll lead us right into war anytime they want. It's so frustrating. Is it numbers of followers? If that's the case, man, we are suffering. <laughs> y'all, y'all, this, like, we need more of God's presence because we, we need more people. But you know what? It's, we know it's not numbers of followers. I don't have to tell you uh, what podcast to listen to, but a lot of y'all have listened to one where there was a church with tons of followers, and the pastor said something like, yeah, if you can't get on board with us, then you're just another body that the bus is running over. And, like, isn't that crazy that you have leaders who are more willing to have a massive number of followers and let abuses exist in their church, let people be harmed, 
because it's what's selling their lifestyle or their way or whatever it is. Where are the shepherds that are tending to the one sheep that are leading the sheep to still waters, to peaceful fields? Like, where are those leaders? Because it's not those guys that are just racking up numbers. I don't think that's how God validates. When you're hearing things that sound like kingdom words, check the receipts. For anyone or anything worth following, there will always be kingdom works that aligned with their kingdom words. This could look like Cesar and Raquel, right? Two people who give everything they have, who give food away, who come back home without shoes on. Like, they give it all to people. Those are people you want to listen to and turn your attention to. It could be like their grandsons, who hear all the time before, like, setting stuff up. And, like, so few times I say thank you. And I should say that every single time. It could be like Adam and Amy, who do so much unseen things. Or Bud and Robin, who are praying all the time for us. Or Maria and Miguel, who are always trying to put this stuff together. And Kara, and so many others. It could be like Aaron Sarkis and Aaron Stone and Isaac Hernandez, who are always sending me, like, encouragement. Those are the people I want to listen to. I believe miracles happen all the time. It's just I got to pay attention to those things. And I got to call them for what they are and point them out and say, that is God. That is a miracle. Because our world is so selfish. We got to recognize those things. Stop and really pay attention. You know, we had closed closet. Was it last week? And uh, there was a moment when there was this gentleman who I'd never met before. He sat down and just started talking. And he was saying all this stuff, and he was talking about, you know, hearing us talk about Jesus and Jesus' love. And uh, I could tell, like, he really had thought and lived and walked this idea of Jesus' love and Jesus' grace. But then all of a sudden, the conversation switched. It changed really quick. Like, I was not ready for this. And he starts getting into some, like, super dark stuff in his life. Things that I've, I, I've heard crazy stuff, and I never thought I would hear something like this. And he starts getting into all this stuff he's been carrying around that he experienced, both to him and things he did. And I am just sitting here praying, Father, just give me something to say that puts him on the next best path. Because I know my time is short. And then all of a sudden it was. The time was over. His number was called, and he started to head back to clothes closet. And the only thing that came on my heart that I said was, man, that is a lot to carry around. Thank you for sharing it with me. 
and I had nothing else for him. And he turned and he said, it was so good to tell somebody that. I didn't do anything but just sit there and listen. Those are miracle moments. Like that guy was so much lighter walking away than he was there. That's how God validates. That guy, when he hears again that Jesus loves him and that God has grace and forgiveness, like because of moments like that, he can now like trust in that truth. So, sorry, I lost my place. So even though in our story going back to the verses, some were swayed, there was a mob and there was stones. How do we respond in those moments? You know, I think of response to violence and sometimes I think about you know, Neo from the Matrix, you know, that's one of my favorite movies. And I just think of that scene in uh, the subway tunnel when, like, he's about to run out and then he turns and he's like, let's do this. And everybody else is, like, stopped because they're like, no, you run because everybody's facing an agent dies and you don't want to do that. But he's like, no, nah, I got this. And uh, just like Neo, our apostles turn, Right? No, they cut bait and run. They were out of there. Like, that's the next thing in the story is they're gone. Like, sometimes, you know, I, I think it's so funny because, like, so much in our, our culture and our place and time, we're, like, we're so driven and so conditioned to fight. We're, like, we're going to die on every hill. I'm not going to let you win this battle. Like, we're taking this to the end. And do we fight? Like, is that what the example we have here? Like, do we arm ourselves? Do we face our enemies every time? Yeah, I'm going to steal a little bit of Adam's thunder because he's going to get in the later verses in this chapter, but I really like verse 15 when, when uh, the apostles are facing a similar thing and they turn and they say, friends, why are you doing this? We are bringing you good news, telling you about a life worth living with God. And it's available to you. He calls them friends. These people that want to stone and kill and murder them and then kill them again. Like, he's like, no, you're our friends. This is the thing. Like, we should stop thinking about turning and facing our enemy and start thinking about how they're not our enemy. How, like, we're just the fortunate ones who have had a life with Jesus thus far. And have been so filled with Jesus' love and grace. We don't have enemies. We only have brothers and sisters who have not yet been as fortunate as us. I saw this quote, and excuse me, but I can't remember who said it. It was probably, uh, I don't know, I'm not even going to try and guess who it was. But I saw this quote, and I loved it. And it said, Christians should be the hardest people in the world to offend because we are so filled with God's love and grace. Like, isn't that the truth? Why should we get so stirred up in things and so unloving towards people when we have been nothing but loved and forgiven? But still, 
We are left asking things like, should I stay or should I go? Verse 5 says, there was a plot afoot. And I just have to stop and say, I love that phrase, there was a plot afoot, because that like, makes me think of like spies and private eyes and like cool di- disguises. That almost turned into like a uh, slam poetry or something. But I, I love like... There was a plot afoot. Like, I just, that's amazing. Okay, there was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you know, but not all you know, I switched jobs just before the new year of this, this uh, last January. <clears throat> that was a really hard decision. Like, I really went back and forth about it. And uh, I get asked all the time, because I, so I recruit people, and so I'm talking to people about hiring them. So they ask me all the time why I left my last company and joined this one, because they're going through those same things, right, and same thoughts. And it was really a hard decision, because I'd been there a really long time. Uh, there was people there that genuinely cared about me, and I genuinely cared about them. And... I knew how to do everything there was to do there. And that's comforting to know all that. So it's really scary to like step out in the unknown and then say, okay, yeah, I want to go be the person who doesn't know anything again and then relearn everything. That's hard. Uh, but it, it just became obvious it was time to, to look at different options. You know, there, there was a lot of things going on at work that I didn't agree in, the way people were being treated. And... Uh, and I had done a lot to change things. But I had finally realized, like, it was, it was time for my own health to look at other things. And so I looked, and I started to take interviews, and I interviewed with several companies, and companies do what companies do, and recruiters do what recruiters do, which is pitch you their company and tell you all the best things about it, right? Because they're trying to sell you on the position. Oh, this is the best place. We have all these benefits, and oh, it's going to be so amazing, and... Like, you can say you work for us when it's, like, things like Google and Facebook and Microsoft and cool. But I know every place isn't perfect. Our place isn't perfect. I've worked in enough places to know there's not a perfect place to work. And then I sat down with the person who became my boss. And she said, let me tell you about where we're struggling. And she laid out every problem they're facing this year. And it was so refreshing just to get the truth from someone. It was so refreshing to hear the problems and say, I've done something like that before and I know how to get through it. It was really cool to to get to know someone and say, I can help them overcome this thing. Sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves to like, sell God to people and to sell this lifestyle and to sell, like, honestly, guys, we just need to boil it down to the truth, the true stories. The Christian life is not perfect. It's hard. I think it's better. Things are lighter, but it's still hard. You have different problems and different concerns. So what do we do in these situations of should I stay or should I go? How do we work through those 
ideas. I know a lot of us have left things like abusive relationships. You know, sometimes we guilt ourselves into thinking as Christians that we got to stay no matter what. That with God, I can solve this problem. With God, I can heal this person. Sometimes God needs us somewhere else. Sometimes God has another path for us. Even when the situation is bad, it's hard to tell when to leave. Things like, how do you leave a church? That's a decision we've walked through, and it's, it's really hard. You know, a lot of people, when things happen and they're hurt, decide to leave church altogether and to leave Christianity altogether and to leave Jesus behind. The kingdom needs you. The kingdom has a purpose for you. You know, a lot of times you hear about prisoners who leave prison, who quickly find themselves back in prison because that life, that new life outside of prison was too hard for them. And they knew what life was like behind bars. They could handle that. So they go back to it. We know what our old life was like before Jesus. It was hard. It was terrible. There were hard, hard things. Is that the life we return to when we go through hard things at church? Or maybe God has somewhere else for us where we can actually flourish, actually live into the purpose he has for us. But they found out about, about it and fled to Lycaosian, Lycaosian cities of Lystra and Derby, into the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. You guys, they were leaving for a reason. They left with a purpose, and they left and preached the good news more. They weren't saying, oh, man, we are out of this thing. We didn't sign up for this. So how do we leave situations when it's time to leave? If we are to leave, then let's leave well. Not just evade, but move to something better. Continuing our mission of loving God and loving neighbor. It can be scary. But also, God has so much in store for us. As leaders, it's hard sometimes saying, do we give up this ministry over here? Do we give up helping this person or this group of people? But that's stuff you have to sit and walk through. Even not as a leader, just like being a believer and having that person. I've had a person in my life that was, I loved so much but you can only go out looking for them in the middle of the night so many times, you know? Sometimes you got to hand those things to someone else. And that's okay. So how do we preach? They left a situation, went to another situation, and continued to preach. What does it mean to be bold? 
I can tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean to be boisterous. A lot of times we think of bold is just like, we're going to be loud. We're going to be smart. We're going to like, but honestly, what our world needs in the form of like boldness is just some truthfulness. Just having real conversations and being direct and being genuine, being full of grace. Our world is running on E when it comes to grace. So what do we preach? You know, it's hard, right, to have conversations sometimes about God and Jesus. First, that's a loaded conversation. A lot of people have a lot of baggage that you don't know about. Also, it sometimes can just feel uncomfortable. But we need to have the conversation. So what do we talk about? Just talk about what you know to be true. Talk about his story. Talk about our story, your story, your story with him. This, what were they preaching? They were preaching the grace of God. That's it. They weren't out there trying to disprove science, which I don't know why you ever would try to do anyways. It's dumb. Don't do that. Science is awesome. I don't know why you, like, don't go out there trying to, like, have conversations about deep theological things. You know, those conversations are great. But the world doesn't need more of that. The world needs a little more, let me listen to your story and you listen to mine. Just talk about what you know. What I know is, I was a 19-year-old who was riddled with panic attacks. Who, the idea of being up here, like, could honestly put me in the ER. I was a 19-year-old who thought my life was going to be very short because I didn't see a future. And I was a 19-year-old who honestly avoided praying most of the time, but when I did, I prayed for things like friends. God, just send me a friend. But you know what? God sent me brothers and sisters. He sent me like all you guys. He has me doing things I would never do before. Like God is good, and that is my story. Earlier on Facebook, in our private group, I, I made a post just asking for other stories. Where's God, like, just overwhelms you with his love and his grace? You know, Courtney, I got their permission, by the way, to do this. Courtney said, during the darkest season of my life, I walked through emotional and mental abuse, infidelity, abandonment, depression, and divorce. Despite the brokenness and pain I felt, God's unfailing love, I felt God's unfailing love through the people he constantly provided and surrounded me with. His overwhelming goodness transformed not only my heart, but my life for the good of his kingdom. Girl, my eyes were watering. Lynette said, in a time where I was constantly choosing sin and turning against him, he continued to be open he continued to open doors to show me my future. He put people 
in my path that showed me the grace, love, and patience that only he can provide. He showed me who I was meant to become. I love that. So good. What's some of y'all's stories? Who has a story they can share of when God just did something incredible for them? Even if it's simple. If you're online, type it. I want to read it later. Share something that God has done in your life. Anybody here have a moment when God just like sent a blessing their way? Or showed up in a way they didn't expect? Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Amen. Anybody else? Thank you so much for sharing that with us. In a second, I'm going to pray. And uh, we're going to have our communion. And while we're doing communion and the music's playing, just ask the person next to you if they could use something to pray, be praying about. Or if you need something prayed about, just ask someone to pray for you. If you're online watching, just if you need something to pray about, comment. Because there's a lot of people out there that want to pray for you. Thank you all so much. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity just to pause and to think on you and think on the story of your people. To think how you just send love and grace to communities even when they are not willing to receive it. Thank you so much for taking care of your people to providing ways to be a blessing in situations and providing ways to find other situations where you can use us. Lord, you are so good to us. You're so full of grace and love. Lord, help us just recognize your miracles that are happening all the time. Help us hear the people that are following up what they're saying with love for their neighbor and love for you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.